Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we discuss a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. This is episode three, Superfast Technology. Last episode, we discussed changes of design style of our common user interfaces, from the skeuomorphic revolution to the age of flat design and beyond. That is a mouthful. Be sure to check out that episode and all of our others that take your fancy after this. Last week's episode was fantastic. Really love making it. And yeah, take a look. So this week we're talking about um, super fast technology, or basically, is our technology advancing faster than we can reasonably keep up? It's a bit of a just sort of thought, kind of a question episode, really. It is. We we've kind of touched on this in others in relation to how things change. So you know, skeuomorphism was all about changes in design, but this is going to be more in depth into like, is it too quick? Is it too quick for humanity? Is it too quick for I guess our biology, how we do things. Yeah, and just sort of our societies to keep up and just our, our general population, I suppose, because it's all very well for the uh, Silicon Valley wizards to keep up, but what about old Grandpa Joe in some little village in China? Or Essex. Or Essex. Yeah. So <laughs> where does that start? So I guess we could start probably with talking about like what do we mean by like technological advancement and like is it actually a good thing? Hmm. Well, I would say yes, but yes, but I think that's my definition. Yeah, I feel like yes, but is probably a pretty appropriate answer. I mean, yeah, in, in kind of broad terms, I feel like technological advancement is good because it's generally sort of finding cures for thing for you know diseases or whatever covid please um as well as you know finding solutions to problems that we as a species have or have created ourselves climate change insert there um yeah those are things that you know the development is something we want to see quickly though as we touched on in our internet of things episode that was a long time ago but we mentioned that the unnecessary adding of smart features to things that don't need it is a pervasive problem, and it's the idea that everyone thinks that they have to jump on the newest trend with their toaster or smart fridge. Oh, yeah, the infamous smart fridge. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one to think about because, yeah, do we need these advancements in technologies that kind of do their job perfectly fine and just making them more complicated for complicated sake is not really helpful to people like your grannies and granddads that are not as familiar with technology exactly that's very much the case so yes but i think that's the best way of covering it so how fast would you say we're actually going i i tried to have a look into this and i mean basically it's extremely hard to put a sort of metric on onto it I did find one article that was looking... It was from 2015, so it was a little bit outdated. Um, But it was looking at the number of patents in the US patent office. Probably a decent metric. Yeah, and that was getting up so... And it said, like, the past four years... So, obviously, for this article, that would have been 2011 to 2015. There'd been, like, 1.15 million, I believe it was, 
um, new patents. And in the first like century of the patent office, I think it was, they had only had like 200,000. So, I mean, that's a sort of metric for it increasing, but I feel like patents nowadays get banded around probably a bit more than they used to. Yeah, like it's it's a good metric to show what kind of development's going on, but I don't think it very well correlates to the actual publication of technology because, you know, all sorts of companies, especially the big ones, Apple and Google and whatnot, they patent hundreds of things, mostly for a competitive advantage in some future technology that doesn't exist. You know, they're guessing half the time. Mm. And some of these patents are often for like tiny little mechanisms of a broader thing yeah so you know it could be i don't i don't know the number at all obviously but for something like an iphone for apple there's probably hundreds of patents that are included in just that one device exactly so it's not a great metric but it does give you an idea of development and i mean just you know for context tv only came in you know a hundred under a hundred years ago and home internet was 40 years ago I mean, I remember when I you know, grew up in Kenya, so obviously different, but I remember home internet coming into my home and coming into homes around us. It was a thing. And yet, as you say. That's interesting, actually. Yeah, I don't remember. It. I mean, I remember it being really awful, but I don't remember like having dial-up. I'm not quite old enough to remember that sort of thing. But but yeah, it's just you think how quickly it's moved on and to the point nowadays where, you know, you want to have sort of gigabit connections or the sort of peak of you know what we can get sort of easily out to homes exactly i mean gigabits obviously not everywhere yet but it will be and 5g's just around the corner for kind of mobile satellite stuff so yeah it's there yeah well, 5g's actually an interesting one to um to point out there because you know is that just going to completely remove broadband and internet into homes in the first place i hope not <laughs> no i kind of hope not as well but you never know you know if we get these sort of things where it's fast enough is there a need for internet but but yeah so i think it's it is accelerating quicker um obviously it's been accelerating quickly probably since the industrial revolution really which is a fair while ago now but yeah I think for general populations, it's kind of, it's the niches of things like medical and kind of climate that matter the most, but also probably people hear the least about. Yeah. I mean, the thing with the climate one, I think is kind of interesting, is it's almost a double-edged sword, because it's like, we need to advance our technology to get to solve this problem because that, you know that's what we do as humans we sort of develop things to solve our problems often problems but we've created ourselves though it, precisely you know this is a climate change is a problem that our advancement and technological development has actually caused in the first place kind of ironic but also it's where the best technology kind of grows from and again like as as you mentioned here it's the stuff that people don't see daily because it's so technical and it's so focused on something that's very out of scope of like the average individual doing their job, living their life. But it's the most important. Yeah, and it's these sort of more niche technologies, as you said, that you kind of can have really fast 
advancements because the people that are actually dealing with it are the ones that are knowledgeable and know what they're doing most of the time. So, you know, yeah, the medical treatment sort of thing, they can go a lot quicker because the general population doesn't need to know how they work. They just need to know that they do. Yeah, they can appreciate the fact that it it does work and it can help them. Um, Whereas, you know, as I said, there's a sort of more mobile phone technologies that is a consumer product is a bit harder to advance so quickly that it loses people. Yeah, and I think that's a very key thing with mobile technology is that when they do make a change, when they do make an improvement, they have to think about the market and the population and backlash so much. And I think it's worth talking about, you know, Apple's infamous endless dongles. It's also worth talking about this kind of move to standardize things between all the different competitors within the whole capitalist tech thing. Yeah. Can we bring up USB-Cs here? Let's bring up USB-C. USB-C is a very good example. So if you do not know, USB-C or USB Type-C is kind of the latest iteration of the USB standard adapter that provides both power and data transfer. It's the little cable that on the new MacBook Pros you see. You see it on new iPads and you also see it on basically every Android phone, tablet, Nintendo Switches, all sorts of devices. There are only like a few outliers that don't use it really. Now I got my, um, I do have a MacBook Pro that I got for university. So that's, I think I got it about three or four years ago now. And I got it and they had just just USB-Cs on it. And I thought, "Mm, it's a bit annoying because everything I have is mostly USB-A or B. But I can get adapters, that's fine. But Apple were pushing this sort of, this is the next great thing. And I do think that USB-Cs are better. I will I will be fair with them at that point. But I'm still having to use adapters for everything because most other products don't come with USB-C. And like, is that them pushing too quickly that other stuff's just not keeping up? Or is that other stuff just not keeping up with them for some other reason? Yeah, I think it's a very difficult line to get to because... In order for things to be easiest for consumers, things have to kind of be standardized and happen at the same time. And what's always been difficult is that the push to USB-C has been different in all the different markets, right? So Android mobile phones probably started embracing it in like 2014. The first Apple laptop to take it was 2016. The first non-Apple laptop would have been a year-ish later at least within, you know, large-scale mainstream manufacturers. Yet iPhones in 2020 still do not, even though every other Apple product, except for the iPhone, now use it. For some reason, they still don't. So it's, and, you know, if you go into cameras and plugs within cars and all of that, they're all way behind. So there hasn't been a very easy standardized, we're going from this to this, which is what you need in order for it to be easier on users yeah i feel like we're currently just sort of living through the age of adapters and dongles as you sort of sort of said yeah and i think we're going to be locked into basically endless transition periods because if if this had been you know imagine a world where come 2016 the usb consortium or whoever they are said all right no more we're not licensing products to be made with usba anymore that's it if you want to use USB as a standard, you must use USB-C. So obviously there would be a very difficult transition of about a year where you'd be like, well, 
crap, I've got my new iPhone, it's USB-C, and my old thing isn't, and there'd be a da dongles and adapters. But that would be a year max, and if you bought anything after that point, it would be on the new standard. So, like, obviously you might keep your camera for 10 years, or your car for 10 years, but it would be very, as years go by, the number of items would be fewer and fewer. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. But th this is sort of where it raises the problem of, you know, we're already sort of living in a society where our rapid consumerism is posing a bit of an issue. So if we're having these sort of hard upgrade points where we you know we just have to change to a new device simply because we just can't plug it in anymore, not because it's not working, it sort of feels a bit I don't know, it feels a bit counterproductive to me. But it then is. you've got to make these adjustments. Oh, no, I, I completely agree it is. And it wouldn't be a hard, like, you must upgrade. It would be more of a, any new devices bought beyond this point must be the new form. It's a similar, you know, the UK government's move to say that no new cars can be sold that won't be electric after 2030. Mm. Similar idea. But if that had been implemented with, you know, cable standards, it would have made the transition pit period easier. Whereas now we're in a position where every two or three years, some new thing is, arrives, some new company decides to jump the gun on it, everyone else is slow, and then one or two are very slow, and it just becomes a mess. Yeah, I think, yeah, actually the sort of cars transition was a good point, because we've had enough, we have enough warning on that, I suppose, is one of the... The other things where I feel like it can work. Obviously, we don't know that it's going to work smoothly yet because we've not hit that point, but it feels like it'll work a lot more smoothly because we've known about it coming up for ages. So, you know, the car manufacturers know that they need to be starting to get those sort of cars manufactured in higher numbers because they're the only, only ones that are going to be able to be sold. Um, the people that create the infrastructure, like the petrol stations and the service stations, know that they're going to need to mostly be focusing on electric vehicles beyond that point yeah i think what's tough is if you think about it in the technology sphere there's not even with warning i don't think it helps i think if we take the example of apple deciding to drop 32-bit support yeah i keep on getting notifications about that yeah so they <laughs> they dropped 32-bit with the release of mac os catalina now the previous operating system, uh, I don't remember which one it was, High Sierra, I believe, every time you opened a 32-bit app, it would say, hi, this is not going to be supported. Just let you know, right? So that was a full year of telling consumers that this was the case. And before that, they had three years at which they told developers that they were going to drop 32-bit support come 2019. So... Software developers had from like 2016 to change, yet for some reason here we are now, and it's suddenly a shock that a whole bunch of things just don't work. Yeah, it almost feels like those sort of companies have just gone, well, we don't want to do what you're telling us. So yeah. if it's not going to be supported on your platform, people have to get it on other platforms. Absolutely. And that, you know, that works fine. It doesn't work for big companies like Adobe and Microsoft. They've switched because they can't say goodbye to that you know market but what it does end up is you lose out on all the kind of small community driven pieces of software that don't have the money behind rewriting their entire thing 
Yeah, and that's sort of becomes a bit of an issue in the whole consumerism, sort of big companies dominating a lot of these sort of scenes. Absolutely. I feel like that's like we could go on an endless tangent with this. We one could. Let, let's let's get back on topic. Yeah, so let's get let's get a little bit bit back um, on on track, um, and that's actually a good segue because ha! the example I wanted to bring up with this um, sort of a technological advancement thing is the Virgin Hyperloop, which just recently, um, as of recording this podcast, um, tested their first passengers journey just sort of in the Nevada desert. It was just two employees there along a five hundred meter test track in fifteen seconds. Um, so they got up to 107 miles per hour, which is 172 kilometers per hour. That is very quick. Um, it is very quick. It's not as quick as they're hoping to get. I think they're hoping to get to like a, th- a thousand kilometers an hour or something like that. Something, oh, something ridiculous. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but in in essence, it's basically a extremely fast transport service, which I'm sure would be very expensive to begin with. But for the general population to understand that, you know, that can happen quite quickly, and people can understand that it's basically like a train that just goes really, really fast. They don't need to understand how it works for them to be able to appreciate that they can use it. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I feel like that's a, that's kind of a good example of where technology can advance a bit quicker. And it's again, it's those niche technologies where it's not something that the general population needs to understand to be able to use. Yeah. However, the damage and the kind of concern with all of this is that rapid tech advancement always, you said often here, but I'm going to go ahead and say always moves too quickly to be properly regulated and controlled by all sorts of kind of safety measures that we have in place within society. Yeah, our governments never, they can't really move quick enough um, to keep up with these sort of things. I mean, social media is a brilliant example of it. You know, it's just become a necessary and integral part of just everything that happens in life nowadays. And yet we don't have that great of regulatory sort of systems on it. And that's where there's been a lot of sort of problems and lawsuits against it, which have kind of been a bit tricky to go through. Yeah. And I think that's it, it's that. But it's also the fact that when the government does get involved, they get involved always from a very out-of-date point of view. So I think you've noted down security and privacy here, and while there have been some good motions in terms of like GDPR, you know, encouraging people's privacy against companies trying to sell and manipulate data, at the same time the European Parliament voted in the last week on whether or not to ban encryption. Oh, I did not know about that, did they? Which, yeah... So it hasn't passed, but it could be because they, 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 it wasn't the final vote. It was a vote on the you know, motion to discuss it further, essentially. So on one hand, you might have amazing data laws that are way too late and should have happened years ago. And people's, you know, Facebook has abused it up until this point. But at the same time, you're having people who are, by all means, boomers trying to regulate something from a point of view that's 20 years out of date yeah you know the idea that encryption was evil and would be only used by criminals was popular in 2002 it's not now 
Yeah, I mean, one of the sort of big selling points of WhatsApp, although I sort of doubt it because they're owned by Facebook, I believe, aren't they? Yes. Um, is their end-to-end encryption of your messages. Um, because, yeah, it's security, privacy, all these, all these different sort of things, as all our technology, especially the sort of social media side of stuff, you know, we end up basically building up a picture of ourselves online, and that's got to be kept secure some way. You know, in the past, we'd have like ID cards and passports and stuff like that, which can be regulated from a sort of government point of view, and you know it is fairly well regulated. Yeah, you know, but they can't do the same for these online things because these online new technologies are traveling way faster than you know our governments can keep up with. Yeah, and I think there's there's it's going to be a race that the governments can never win without really doing it wrong, if that makes sense. So who knows what is the best way to regulate it and having big corporations regulate themselves is definitely not the answer no that just that will just lead to a spiral of problems exactly um but i think this actually leads us on quite nicely to our next sort of talking point which was of how much of it has already happened Mm. like how much technological advancement has happened already that could be conceived as having happened too fast um and social media, I guess, is one of those examples. Social media is definitely one, as much as it's been... I guess social communication over the web has been a thing since IRC, but the idea of like social media as we see it today and as it being so influential, it's new. Like, both of our childhoods, we can measure the time at which it became a thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's actually another point. A lot of kids, a lot younger, tend, tend to have phones nowadays, I feel. Well, at least smartphones. Yeah, that, that's a sign. In my first, that's a sign that it's happened quickly for sure. Obviously, neither of us are um, parents to be able to add an actual proper viewpoint on this. But there's a lot of discussion. I feel like in parenting communities nowadays about when they let kids have these technologies. Yeah, no, it's and it must be difficult because they never grew up with it. Yeah, it must be incredibly difficult. And obviously, in some ways, you want to give your kid these technologies so that they can understand them, understand how to use them properly, and also not be the only person who doesn't have them. But also, it's giving someone such kind of limitless control of so many things at such a young age. Yeah, and at such a young age, they don't understand the, the risks. Yeah, how old were you when you got your first smartphone? And what was it? My first phone was like, they were mostly just like hand, hand-me-downs from my dad, I think. Um, the first one that was my own phone was a Blackberry. Oh. And I think I was probably, oh, it was all, Blackberries were all the rage at my school. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what age I would have been when I got that. I must have been 13 or 14, mm. I think. So I, 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 same, always had hand-me-down phones from my parents. However, my mum always had iPhones since the first. So my my so I went from I had a Nokia brick phone, you know, classic, throw it at a wall, it breaks the wall type thing. Mm-hmm. And then I went from that to the original iPhone three. It's a pretty big leap. It is a pretty big leap. And I think I got that at thirteen or fourteen. The original iPhone three didn't have Wi Fi. It didn't have an app store. So you could use mobile data, but we didn't. Ha- I didn't have mobile data because it was just about just beginning to roll out in Kenya when I was thirteen, and it was expensive as hell because it was new. 
So I, it was a basically an internetless device, which if you think about now, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that seems, it seems useless. I mean, we've all been in situations, maybe you've sat in like a, I don't know, a waiting room at a dentist or whatever, that's an example I can think of, where you're sitting there, you've not got any service and you've not got any Wi-Fi, and you sit there staring at your phone like, this thing is useless to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it used to be so much worse. And, I, you know, I remember I'd have to open iTunes on my laptop, on my mum's laptop, and download Angry Birds or Fruit Ninja onto the laptop and then plug the phone in. And then through iTunes, you literally arrange the apps on your app screens. Oh, yes, you did, didn't you? I forgot about that. Yeah, it was it was before you couldn't it. press and hold on the app to move them on the on the phone. You had to plug it in and click them around with your mouse. It was crazy. So I think yeah, I mean, you know, we're going on a tangent again, but also this point of how much of it has already happened. I think a lot of it's already happened. Well, I was going to say that's a good way to actually think about it, you know, just talking about those sort of methods of using these things. It feels so outdated and archaic now, but it wasn't that long ago. So what would that would have been? That would have been less than 10 years ago. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, these sort of technologies have moved extremely fast. Um, and this is for, you know, people our age who've actually grown up with it to think about these sort of things. For people, you know, older generations, and this is something I wanted to bring up. This is a sort of a funny story, but it was actually one of the things that made me sort of think about doing this topic um I was, I was i was at work the other day and i work somewhere where we just you know it's a it's a park people come to visit and you know they book tickets and i answered the phone a while ago to a an old lady who wanted to book her tickets over the phone she was like i, I have to book my tickets over the phone because i don't have a computer and then she sort of had a slightly small rant to me about the fact that everything needs internet and computers nowadays oh it's ridiculous and it made me laugh a little bit afterwards. I was like, this this old lady doesn't just thinks we shouldn't have computers and in the internet. And obviously there's so many benefits that I think we should have all these things. But, you know, it does bring up the, the question of for for older people like that who didn't grow up with all this sort of stuff, they're kind of being pushed aside in society because they don't want and don't understand these things. Oh, absolutely. It's for them, this sort of technology is probably advancing too too fast, but we we don't really want to hinder ourselves you know our own advancements because the older generations are happy with the way that was when they were younger yeah and I i think that's a core principle of you know design and designed for people and user focused design is especially if you're making something that's obviously technical tools right you're designing the latest piece of software for building something old people aren't going to use that but when it comes to things like social media i think most social medias have failed quite frankly on designing something that is as accessible as possible and it's primarily just the fault of the way they work you know facebook and all of its subsidiaries they work on an entire development process where they make something and then they give it to like 0.1% of their users and see how it works and then they expand as necessary right so if you're you know some old lady and you're opening Instagram and oh no suddenly everything's moved 
just because you happen to be one of the unlucky 1% of some person's experiment. Yeah, I think it's... I say it is a, it's a really tricky one because, as you said, the, you know, this technology moves... I suppose it's, you know, the technology is moving at a certain speed, but that speed is relative to, you know, the user's understanding. Yeah. So for these older people, it probably feels like technology is moving way quicker than it does for the likes of you and me because we are more up to date with it and understand it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it's that, that's what it is. It's we understand these technologies. So when things change, we adapt very quickly and even if they are designed to be as simple as possible, just the fact that they change without warning is enough to really kind of confuse people. Yeah, I, I, I thought about this when I was, I was writing some notes down. Um, and I kind of feel like um, we almost have a sort of tech shifting baseline syndrome. Now, I'll just explain this. Yes. I think I mentioned this in the um, episode about my project that I did last um, end season. of last season yeah but yeah but shifting baseline syndrome is generally spoken about about the sort of natural world and it's sort of you know as our environment has changed what we perceive as natural is to do with what the state of the environment was when we were born and sort of what we've seen mm. um as opposed to what actually was natural you know thousand years ago or more and i feel like you can sort of extrapolate that concept to our tech a little bit because to us, you know, we were born when computers were around and were beginning to sort of become more mainstream. And so to us, that is completely normal society. Whereas to much older generations like our grandparents, you know, they saw that come in halfway through their life sort of thing. Yeah. And so them, that's a complete departure from what they, was, they grew up with. And that's got to make it harder for them. No, I think that is a fantastic point. There is definitely a shifting baseline within technology, and it's probably not given enough enough focus because everyone who kind of is invested enough in technology to kind of write and understand these things won't be thinking about, or should be, but isn't thinking about those who just don't. Mm. But then I suppose from a sort of economics point of view of this it's kind of counterintuitive and counterproductive to design a system around the users that aren't using it yes but that goes straight to the whole discussion of accessibility you know you can't because such a tiny proportion of people don't necessarily have the same needs it's not necessarily then right to completely ignore them and i guess especially when it comes to social media which is used by older generations much more than other pieces of tech. It's just, I think, really this reiterates how important it is to really design with people in mind the whole way through and not just your preconception of who your audience will be. Yeah, and obviously this is mightily important for when you're making something which is supposed to be accessible to like the whole planet almost. Because as as we said, with the sort of medical and more high tech things that are niche, you know your your market that you need people to understand is the smaller people who do understand a bit more. But yeah, exactly. You don't you don't need to make 
that the patients of a doctor no, don't need to understand the technology that the doctor uses. No. But then when you have things like the Hyperloop, you know, the customers, you know, the people that actually use it to travel in the future need to be able to understand the limited contact that they have with it. But they don't need to understand how it works, how it moves them. Yes. As such. Though I think it's worth saying that at the same time, letting people be completely ignorant just because they're not within the need-to-know circle is also what quite quickly can feed conspiracy. And I think we've seen that surrounding 5G. We've seen that surrounding some of the most more complex ideas of climate change and fighting it. Is if someone just sees it as, oh, it's this newfangled technology that will just make things better and no one explains it beyond that, you can quite easily be fooled by something you read that, you know, argues otherwise. That is a very good point. I'd not actually thought about that. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, if we have these fancy tech... I mean, people still claim that the moon landings were faked, you know, because it's it's rocket science, and yeah. most people don't tend to understand rocket science. So, yeah, that's actually a very good point. You know, if we we do sort of tread a dangerous line of, you know, becoming... I suppose it's like a tech dictatorship in a way. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very scary sentence to say. But yeah, that's why it's important that you you don't need to make, you know, the details of your rocket engine make sense to your grandma. But it needs to be clear enough so that they can go, oh yeah, it's an engine, like the car I had. As opposed to, this is magic, we have no idea how it works, and therefore it's probably evil. Yeah, I mean, magic is just science we don't understand. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess that rounds us out well to what could possibly be done to improve technological understanding. And are the benefits, do they definitely outweigh the negatives of leaving some people behind? It's a very sort of... Um thought experiment sort of episode this one isn't it but yeah, yeah it's i think the managing technological understanding is is always gonna be difficult because as i said there's so much of a generational divide in these sort of things but i think the obvious thing that i can think about in a way to sort of alleviate the issue is education teaching people about these sort of things yes um and that, I'm, I don't just mean sort of, you know, in school, because obviously you can learn about this stuff in school, but 20 years after you've left school, it'll all be different. You know, some some way to sort of allow people to keep up without having to constantly be buying the new technology to work it out themselves. Um, something like that. Well, I think on a more uh, societal future of humanity level sorry to get quite kind of out there with this but i think what's really going to make a difference in how we continue as a human race i say this as a 20 year old student with you know limited <laughs> <laughs> limited philosophical ideas but i think one of the big things that's really gonna make it or break it i predict is how we see learning I think learning for so long has been treated as something as you do it as a child and then you are learned and then you're an adult and your job is to do, right? 
Whereas it's starting to be embraced now a little bit more as like, yeah, you keep learning forever. Even as an adult, you learn new skills and technology and stuff. But that needs to be so ingrained within everything so that you never stop learning. Yeah, I mean, this could potentially come from, I suppose, if if we can find a way in our societies to have more time, um, I suppose... To be able to allow people to explore those sort of things on their in themselves. Yeah, time is a very important yeah. part of it. Mm. But I think education has got to be the important way. Um, I was reading something, or I can't remember if I read it or listened to it or something the other day. But anyway, there's um, Finland as a as a country introduced a while back some form of um, sort of education um, teaching curriculum for online um news and social media Mm. basically to teach people and this wasn't just for kids this was all age ranges you could sort of go along to these things i think um well at least that's what i I could gather from it anyway um so yeah to learn about how these different platforms work i guess in a way and how news and stuff can misinformation can spread and apparently you know this has been going for a little while now and finland has now become the most resilient country to i think it was sort of like inter- yeah, internet like manipulation i suppose i suppose that's that's really interesting i find that fascinating especially because i think the most i've ever seen come out of the uk government is i occasionally get twitter ads saying like does your child play apex legends click here to learn about online safety <laughs> really helpful you know yeah, and obviously, like, I, I get the weirdest ads because I have all of these, you know, tracking protections set. Watch our data privacy episode to learn about that. But yeah, I get the most unusual ads, but a lot of them are for, you know, concerned parents with their kids' internet usage. Mm. And the solution is almost always, like, click on this link and read some dry government-written article about not talking to strangers online. As opposed to in-depth education as to how to use the internet productively and respectfully essentially yeah it's i say it's it's down to educating people to be able to understand it themselves rather than just reading an article that tells them what to think exactly that's very much the case so i think the last thing just to round out the episode is is yeah the benefits do, do they outweigh the negatives of you know people being left behind and I mean, the other thing is, you know, or can they be sort of left behind gracefully? I think is a interesting point. I think the benefits definitely outweigh the downsides and the negatives, like absolutely. But at the same time, I think we can and should put more effort into keeping legacy technology supported for as long as possible. And I mean, if you look at Let's take Nintendo. You know, if you look at the original Nintendo DSs and Game Boys, they work fine now. They still work. So that's partly something to be said for their construction and how well they were made. But also, you know, if we could be like that in a number of years with our iPhones, that would be good. Yeah, it would be nicer, especially because, you know, we said about sort of the older generations, you know, if we can find ways to make our technology keep going enough to the point where they can still get by with what they're comfortable with um 
but the trouble is, I suppose, as we advance, you know, technological advancement is is about improving mm. and making improvements to things. So those legacy, you know, devices will not perform as well as the new ones, and they will be missing out features um, that will, I suppose, be leaving people behind. It's a yeah, it's a really tricky one. It is tricky, but also there are going to be features that people probably won't mind to be missing. So you know, it's it's better have someone use something that hasn't got the newest best things than not be able to use anything at all yes yeah, so this is true i mean does your grandma really want to be able to play vr video games exactly Probably not so i think that about does it for this episode i guess um it's an interesting one lots of just sort of thoughts and it'll be interesting to see where this sort of goes in the future Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, we kind of did just, you know, go into a long, deep conversation, but those are important. Please share it with your friends, family, co-workers, and your... Got any ideas? Guinea pig. And your guinea pig. Unlike videos and blogs, podcasts don't have an algorithm for recommendations, so we rely on your word of mouth as our listeners. Yep, so follow us on Instagram at assembled.it for a deeper look into the show and our own work, including behind the scenes, uh, outtakes, projects and updates. We keep on saying this, but we've not had much in the way of outtakes. No, but we do do (laughs) projects, updates and bits and bobs. It's quite good. Yeah, we do stuff. We do stuff. Follow us on Instagram for stuff. Once more, remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends, family, co-workers and guinea pig. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Some Assembly Required is co-hosted and produced by Pablo Samoilis and George Wyeth, and edited by George Wyeth. Music is by Mikey Burtwistle. This is a 7-6 podcasting production.